www.theharoldtimes.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm your host, Bob Salzberg from WFIU-WTIU News, along with co-host WFIU-WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Today we're talking about the Bloomington Housing Study and community needs for housing in the future. Recently, listening sessions were held to get feedback from different stakeholders, government officials, and community members on different types of housing available in the city and what the needs might be for the future. We'll be talking with our guests about that study and about another recent study that has come out uh, recently with, uh, with these four guests. Tina Peterson is the CEO and president of the Regional Opportunities Initiative Incorporated. And she's also CEO and president of the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County. Lisa Abbott is executive vice president for the Bloomington Board of Realtors. Doris Sims is housing and neighborhood development director for the city of Bloomington. And Amy Hasse is joining us by phone from Omaha. She's with RDG Planning and Design, which is instrumental in these studies that are being done on housing here in Bloomington, Monroe County, and South Central Indiana. What's it called? Central South. The Indiana Uplands. The Indiana Uplands mm-hmm. counties, 11 different counties. Right. You can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, or you can join us on the air by calling in at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So thanks for being here with us. I think I'm going to switch gears. I had a strategy, but I'm going to switch gears already. I'm going to talk to Tina first because <laughs> – uh, so your your housing study just came out. Your the ROI study just mm-hmm. came out. Can you talk a little bit about what you know what ROI is, what you studied, and then we're going to sort of drill down into Monroe County and Bloomington. Sure. So regional opportunity initiatives is a nonprofit uh, formed specifically to address education, workforce, and quality of place in the eleven counties of what we call the Indiana Uplands. The impetus really was a recognition that while we have exceptional assets in this region, employers, sectors, higher education, prosperity is not, you know, really reflective of the assets that we have in the region. So how might we do a better job advancing economic prosperity in our region? So our job, one of three organizations, was to focus on uh, quality of place, workforce needs. And you know, early on, it became very obvious that one of our challenges is housing. I mean, we just literally do not have the housing or the right housing um, to allow us to attract and retain the workforce we need uh, with actually quite um, rapidly expanding uh, industry sectors, life sciences, advanced manufacturing, and defense. So really, we have beginning begun really working system systematically through the different quality of place issues that will allow us to attract and retain talent and housing. Nothing's bigger than housing, right? So that was the impetus for this study. Okay. And then the city of Bloomington is doing a separate study, right? That's Doris? correct. Okay. So what we wanted to do is like um, Tina's study pretty much concentrated on her the 11 counties that she served, with Monroe County being one of those. But what we wanted to do was take um, a deeper dive into Bloomington and what and look at Bloomington's current housing situation, the different type of housing that we currently have, and what the future needs of housing would be in Bloomington based on our population growth. Okay. And now, Amy, Amy Hasse, you uh, are involved with both these studies. So what you know when you're going at what what are some of the things that we might find out from the from the the Bloomington study and what what kind of things did you hear at the listening sessions? Um, well, great. The the listening sessions were really great. We had very good participation. Um, people were very open and candid. And I think you know one of the biggest things that I probably took away from those conversations was how do we begin to balance within Bloomington. Um, 
what comes out as really two key priorities around quality building and quality building of place and affordable housing. So how do we kind of begin to balance those two pieces out within the community? Okay, and now I want to ask, uh, I want to bring Lisa Abbott in and talk about, you know, your role with the Bloomington Board of Realtors. So how do you, how do you see and your board see the, the um, affordable housing issue? And, you know, what do you, you know, what do you hope that you can learn from, from these studies? Well, we would like to help um, figure out a way to increase um, the supply of housing and also the different kinds of housing. I mean, people... As they go through the life cycles, they need different housings at different times, and we don't seem to have a really good supply of the entire gamut of of housing types that our community needs. So if you're an older person, you might want to be downsizing, you don't want to take care of your yard anymore, and you want to live in a condo, good luck. you know. And so we need to figure out a way to create... Um, opportunity for people who want to move out of their single-family homes so that we can move families that want to move into those single-family homes in. And that's going to that's gonna require some, some new strategies, and we're hoping that this study will help us figure out what those need to be. Mm-hmm. Tina, you talked about the right kind of housing, and you mm-hmm. were nodding your head. What do you think is the right kind of housing that we're lacking? Right. I mean, I think that's what we were trying to find out. And mm-hmm. I think what we discovered is that we need... Uh, I think balance is a great word, but across the entire region, um, we need housing at every income level, right? I think we often want to focus on affordable housing, but we need housing, affordable housing at every price range, right? And and Lisa's comments about um, needing housing for folks at different um, stages in life, we find because we don't have that balance that those that should be moving out when they're empty nesters are staying in houses that we need families to be able to move into so that when they move out of their house, the entry-level folks can move into this house. And so uh, Amy, I think, calls it a filtering effect. And so we don't have the right amount of housing. We don't have the right balance between um, owner-occupied and rentals. Uh, In most of the region, the challenge is we don't have enough rental property. Uh, In Monroe County, we don't have enough single-family opportunities for owner-occupied. So it's it's really finding that balance in every county and across the region that's going to allow us to support all those who need housing at the right stages within their lives. How much? How much do we need to add? Like, if we're, if we, maybe if we looked at a, a calendar year or something, how many? How much should we be building with a growing population? Well, I mean, if you talk about the region over the next ten years, we need fourteen thousand new housing units, and a third of that is in Monroe County. Really? So five thousand, I think, fifty one hundred of the housing units, some rental, some owner occupied, uh, over the next ten years. When I looked, I was looking through the study um, in the last over the last week, and I saw a couple of different things that, that jumped out at me that I wanted to ask about today. One was the the value for income mm-hmm. chart, which showed that that Bloomington and Monroe County has um, basically is much less affordable than any place else around us. And Amy, I guess I wanted to ask you about that statistic. Um, it, maybe as common sense in an urban area would be more expensive, but maybe not. I guess I'm asking for your input on that. Sure. Um, It is pretty common in cities with large student populations like we have in Bloomington. So what ends up happening in that analysis is we've got a large number of households that have little to no income um, so that their household incomes are coming in very low and then comparing that to housing prices. So those sorts of really high ratios of where we see much more expensive housing markets compared to incomes are very common in cities that we have with uh, larger student populations. With that said, I think we have also seen in a number of communities right now, again, with larger student populations, where we are seeing price points that are maybe a little bit, that are a little bit higher than maybe some of their surrounding communities or a peer city that um, doesn't have that student population. Um, you know, over the last decade, we've seen a lot of millennials moving through our universities, and and that's really cr- created a pretty, it's created dynamic environments for these cities, um, and that's been pretty exciting, but also sometimes made the housing piece kind of challenging. 
I want to go to this question we got on Facebook because it really fits into what you're just saying uh, from Lipsha Morsi asks, well, her question is, why do students need $3,000 a month luxury apartments in Bloomington? Is that necessary? Um, I'm not sure if that's no, not just a, not sure there's a real question, good answer but, to that. Um, but but it, <laughs> is it, I, I guess I would turn back to Amy and say, is it, is it common? Or is that common across the college communities that you've seen? Yeah, the, the demand for and the construction <clears throat> of student-oriented housing that we've seen in Bloomington is pretty common across a lot of our major university communities and cities. You know, we're seeing it in places like Ames and, and Lincoln and um, just across the board. Um, you know, I, it, it's an interesting question. Is it needed? You know, I think there's probably there's plenty of parents that I'm hearing they're saying, you know, we want our children to live in um, safe, quality places. Um, you know, but I think back about what I lived in <laughs> in college, and it was very different. Um, so that's, but you know, it's uh, the market demand is clearly there in filling the units. So um, you know, the uh, the builders are respo- responding to the market, uh, and you know, and, and it's happening across across the country. Well, and if I can add to that, I mean, if you think about a unit that may be a three-bedroom unit, if it's a family, you may have um, just a single mom or two, a husband and wife, and like one child in there, or two children that are renting a three-bedroom unit. But if it's a, a college student, you're looking at three individual incomes who can afford that unit, and it's a, just a different dynamics as far as income available to be able to rent a unit. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, housing developers, particularly those in the student market, because there are developers who just specialize in student housing, that's what they're looking at is that I can have, you know, three or four students. And if they're paying, able to pay $500 a stu- uh, you know, per bed, then there's my $1,500 to rent a three-bedroom unit. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, what what are the so? I think it was Amy that mentioned the, this balance that between the quality building and affordable housing, and what's the what are the barriers to that? When when you know, when realtors, what are, we we really lack affordable housing? I think at at all levels, you you've said, what are the barriers to getting there? Well, you know, land cost is land cost, and um, material costs are material costs, and labor is labor. And so, you know, uh, a developer that is going to build something is not going to be able to get a loan unless he can show the lender that he's going to be able to make a profit. And so he has to charge rent that cover, you know, those those costs. And then and on top of that, the operational costs of the structure. So, you know, it drives, you know, it drives everything up in order to be able to um, to meet those um, expenses and to cover all of those those expenses. And the other thing is it takes a really long time to develop something. I mean, if you think about the time, by the time you've identified the property and you've come up with the plan and you've gone through the entire approval process and then you break ground and you build something, you are, your money is tied up for quite a, a period of time and you have to cover all of those carrying costs as well. So, you know, all of these things, you know, come together, which then drives, you know, um, the price of, of um Rental or even owner occupied, you know, we have charged to make money on the house. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's um, it's a very difficult balancing act. Mm-hmm. You mentioned land, which I think is really interesting when we're looking, particularly at Bloomington and Monroe County. So, maybe my question is for you, Tina. But when we're talking about strategies for improving housing here, can we really just be looking at Bloomington and Monroe County, or do we need to be looking outside where? There is more land. How much of that is looking at Lawrence County? Right. I mean, we certainly have significant in-migration every day into Monroe County and into Bloomington. I mean, I think the numbers are pretty significant. Migration into Bloomington, commuting into Bloomington is 30,000 a day, right? So you have a lot of people that are living somewhere else, and they are not all living in Ellettsville. Uh, they're not all living, you know, in our charming smaller communities around. So, yes, we see a lot of folks. Um, today we were talking um, in another part of the region about Greene County and Lawrence County and how many folks are commuting in from their, their you know, from their counties into Monroe County, Owen County as well for work. So I, 
I personally think that this has to be a regional solution for housing. It's the reason we did a regional housing study. And quite honestly, the challenges are not that different. The numbers are different. Uh, you know, everybody needs to focus on lot development, uh, no matter where they are. Everybody needs, you know, to think about gap financing um, for whatever reason that people can't get the loans they need for the housing availability. It may be because appraisals are low or maybe because it's just expensive in some communities. But, yeah, it has to be a regional solution. I don't think there's any question. If you want to give us a call and talk to us today about affordable housing, uh, different uh, ideas about what's happening now and what may be happening in the future, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, you know, we've talked uh, – the the listener who sent us a question was about – rental units, but when the other part of the study that I wanted to refer to was, I believe there, there was a nice pie chart that showed what people said they wanted in terms of houses, and by far the biggest area was affordable single-family homes from one-bedroom to three-bedrooms. So, you know, again, uh, you know, the guys in our studio are nodding their heads. What are the what are the what are the barriers are the barriers the same to be able to get the those single family homes built? They yeah. they are the same. It's the same barriers no matter what you're developing. Um, and um, and I'd like to add though, you know, single family housing is kind of a cultural thing for us here. You know, I mean, people, you know, expect at some point in their life that they're going to have a home and they're going to have a yard and they're going to be able to raise their kids in this, you know, single family house with their yard and and. The supply of that is is really constricted. If you think about what's happened in the in the building permit process since the housing crash, you know we're just not building that kind of housing at the rate that we were, and you know the population continues to grow, and people ex- want to have that kind of housing experience, and we're just not keeping up. When you say we, are you talking specifically about? Monroe County, or is this a, a more global issue? I, I think it's a national issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're yeah. seeing it all across the all across the country. Yeah, Amy. Is yeah, it great? I, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with Lisa. It's, it's really not a national issue. It's it's not unique to to the to the Levin County region or to Bloomington. Um, you know how uh, products and are, are getting built is is a challenging thing for many communities. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we heard during the listening sessions, particularly from developers, was that, you know, housing costs, usually when you look at land costs, you assume that it would be 20 to 30 percent of the actual average cost of the house you built, but they're running into 50 and 60 percent is in land cost. And so when you start off that your land cost is so expensive, and then if you're paying $50,000 for a lot and you're building an $80,000 house, then you're right at 130 already, and so it makes it so much more expensive. You know, and what we find out is that people, when you go into homeownership, that you really want that two or three bedroom. And I think Tina's study showed that from Monroe County that everybody, the biggest part of the pie chart is they wanted a three bedroom home. You know, with the large, large, a yard space. Excuse me. And so that is going to run between the two fifty and three hundred dollar range. And a lot of people here in the service industry, they just can't afford that amount for a home. Mm-hmm. So then developers, it was on this show before, I think we had a developer on, was saying where everybody is building then are these really high-end mm-hmm. houses because when you're talking about land and the people who can actually afford, that's what you're getting. So are we, are we getting too many of that kind of house on the market because that's where developers can make the most profit? I don't think we saw that, Amy, right? I don't think that we saw we had too many houses in, in that income category. <laughs> You know, and I just want to speak to Doris's point that, you know, I think that we have to decide that we're going to be competitive. If we want developers to come here, we have, you know, I think in one of your listening sessions we had a developer say, you know, it's much uh, it's much more affordable for me to go build something and see more than it is to build it here and there's less risk. And so, you know, one of the conversations we're having across the region is what kind of things do we have to do in local communities to share some of the risk to get developers to come here. And then sometimes that has to do with infrastructure development. Sometimes it has to do with financing. But 
we're as a region, we're and, and individual communities, we have to decide how badly do we want the housing and how how much do we want to partner and think about public-private partnerships, especially on the low end of affordability, to make this possible. Mm-hmm. And can I add to that? You know, we talked about this at the beginning of the hour. You know, one of the things that we need to think about is the other housing types. You know, I mean, so we might be able to free up some of these three-bedroom homes with yards and stuff like that if the people who own those homes had places that they could go, but we don't have enough condos. We don't have enough townhomes. We don't have smaller housing that's not, you know, you could sell, I could sell my house and buy a smaller house, but I'd probably be paying a similar amount of money. So, you know, it's, we need other housing choices to allow people to, to move beyond, you know, the single family structure when that doesn't work for them anymore. And we, we don't have that kind of housing Hardly at all. I mean, we don't have hardly any townhomes or, you know, those kinds of things. And those might be great starter homes if you're married with or, you know, a, you know, friends living together where you don't have children involved and in, or maybe even if you do. But we don't have that kind of housing type and we don't have enough condos. So we just need to think outside the box a little bit on what other housing mix housing types can we put into our mix that might free up some of the housing that is in such high demand. Mm-hmm. I, before we take a break, uh, I want to go back just really quickly because I, I know that that, um, that pie chart I talked about, I just saw that was in one moment in time. And I guess, Amy, you might have some insights into this. Has, has that pie chart changed over time? The fact that people in Bloomington, the majority of people in the listening session, or actually this was in the ROI study, mm-hmm. that said mm-hmm. they really want that single family, one to three bedroom home. Has that piece of the pie diminished over time, or is it getting bigger over time, or has it pretty much stayed the same over time? I'd probably say it's maybe stayed about the same. Maybe, yeah, you know, it's, it's a very generational thing. So there's a chance we're seeing it going a little bit smaller. I would say the biggest trend in 20 years of doing this that I've seen is that um, exactly what kind of um, Lisa and Tina talked about and growing interest in those variety of, of, of homes because we're seeing the gener- the baby boomers moving into a period where they're like, I, I don't need the three-bedroom house anymore with the yard that I want to maintain, and their house is the house we probably can't build. We can't. It's going to be very difficult to build that $180,000 home. Um, so we're, with the other piece where we're seeing that maybe shrink just a little bit, too, is how people visualize that one-bedroom, one-to-three-bedroom home. Um, I think most people are seeing smaller lots. So they're seeing that they want a good quality house. That's probably the biggest, been the biggest trend change, but they don't necessarily always want the big yard to maintain. Now, that varies from Mark. We're going to see that vary from, you know, every part within the 11 region um, area. But for me, that idea of wanting to be in an established neighborhood, maybe with not a, as big of a lot, has been the, a trend that I've seen change over the last 20 years. Okay, we're going to take a short break. We're, uh, we're rapidly going through our program today. If you have questions or comments, we would really like to hear from you in the second half of the show. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us a question, news at indianapublicmedia.org, or follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Sarah Whitmire, and we're talking with four guests today about... 
the housing studies that uh, one that's been done and one that is under um, construction right now. With uh, so we have four guests: Tina Peterson, the CEO and president of Regional Opportunities Initiative, uh, and the CEO and president of Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County. And Lisa Abbott is here. She's the executive vice president of the Bloomington Board of Realtors. Dora Sims, Housing and Neighborhood Development Director for the City of Bloomington, and Amy Hasse, who's with RDG Planning and Design, who have been that company's been has done these uh, housing studies. If you want to join us on the program, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. So, Tina, in the last half, you said something like 30,000 people commute into Bloomington. Um, we got a follow-up question on Facebook with somebody wanting to know, will people moving out and commuting in eventually hurt employment here? I don't know. That's a, I mean, I think that's a great question. I think in our region we have four employment centers, right? So we have some counties that have very few employers and then some that have more. And so um, this is the largest employment center in our region. It probably has been for a very long time, even when we looked very different when we were more of a manufacturing community than we are today. So I, I don't have an answer to that. What I can say is that our employers don't see county lines, right? So they are not looking to say, oh, we just need people to live in this county. They don't care. So for them, they're sort of uh, county neutral. Um, so I, I think, you know, it, for us, I think it's why it's critically important to be thinking about housing as a regional issue and not just a, lo- just a local one. But I, I mean, when you look at our employers, I'm not sure that the commuting patterns are going to hurt us. What's going to hurt us if we can't, is we can't attract enough people for the jobs that we have. And that, I think, is our biggest danger. And housing is a big piece of that. I know in our newsroom we talk quite a bit about the jobs Cook is going to be adding over on the west side. And where are those folks going to go? Is that 500 or 600? 500 over 10 years. And I know Pete Yonkman, the president of Cook, has talked a lot about where we're going to have our employees live. He's talked about looking at the Eltsville area. Right, which I think is a great option. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think Eltsville has lots to offer. And we just need to make sure we're doing the placemaking that we should to, to support that. Um, and I, you know, and I think I think about Crane, right? Crane is going to add a thousand employees in the next oh, wow. um, five years, right? And so they are growing very rapidly. A large percentage of their workforce lives here. We can't undervalue the opportunity that I sixty nine offers us to create some housing where people can travel up and down the corridor, whether that's from Indianapolis into our region or if that's from south into Monroe County. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've got lots of opportunity, but we need to be thoughtful about it. Lisa, we've talked about it, um, but I guess I'm just going to ask in a very more specific way. I mean, is, is there a particular type of housing that realtors in Bloomington, the, the phone rings and somebody says, hey, this is what I need. Is, is there a typical type that people are, are hearing about? Like, is it that I need a three-bedroom home that's on a half-acre lot that, you know, or – is there anything like that? Well, I'm not a realtor, so I right, don't know right, that right. I can I can be that specific. But but what I'm hearing from my members and what I'm seeing on their on their emails as they go across is that um, there's actually quite a bit of demand for a, a lot of different types of housing. But single family housing is still you know the main thing that people are looking for. But one of the things I have noticed in the last year or so is that I see more communication from the realtors to each other about. I have a, a household looking for a condo, um, and so I really think um, I think that we are starting to think about other housing form types. But again, in our region, the number one thing that people want is single family housing. Okay. Can, we, can I jump in? And yeah, sure. There too, that from talking with the realtors, I think um, Lisa's exactly right. They get lots of calls, probably about that, you know, three bedroom single family home. Um, but I also think both from from what they shared and from um, just talking with other individuals around the community, there's a lot of people who don't even pick up the the phone to call the realtor because they can drive around their community and they can see there's very few townhomes available. So they just they don't they're not seeing the product around their community. So they're just you know or they're hearing whether true or false 
rumors about potentially the price points of those units. So and they're thinking, wow, I can't afford that. So, um, you know, and when we when we hear developers doing kind of products that aren't maybe as common, they the, the interest level and the calls for those are very high. Mm-hmm. We've got um, a caller who wants to remain anonymous. Doris, you might be the best to, to answer this. Says occupants. This is about occupancy permits and says that they prevent baby boomers from moving into co-housing situations. Um, why did they invent occupancy regulations and why can't they do away with them? Do you know about those in Bloomington? So are they talking about, do you think it's rental permits? And I guess I don't understand what they mean the by co-housing? that. The co-housing? I was thinking maybe the... What is yeah. co-housing? Yeah. Can so, you define it? Well, so co-housing, um, currently we, I know that we have one organization that does co-housing here, which is called Cooperative Living. Um, they have a facility on West 5th Street, and they're usually single-family rooms. Um, that they're using, but I do know that they're looking to do a more larger unit that or a bigger um, housing facility that would allow families to move into it where they would have um, a couple multiple bedrooms as well as some common space that's just for that family. So I guess if the question's about the rental occupancy permit, because that is more like three unrelated adults, but if I had a child or if I had five kids, it doesn't count my children only the adults that live there okay yeah i'm honestly not sure that's all the information they gave. i think we can answer this other question that's come in probably easier than that um caller named bj wants to know where he can find results of the studies so tina your study's done where right. can somebody read it i mean ours is on our website so regional opportunity dot org okay. uh, i think if you just google regional opportunity initiatives you'll find our website and there's a whole section on housing you can find the entire study and then you can uh, there are packets for each county in the region mm-hmm. so and so doris i know that on the city's website there you've sort of kept up with the different steps of the process you can go to the city website and find who all the stakeholders were that came to the listening sessions, for instance. So we had quite a few people come, stakeholders, you know, and then the mayor does have a page about the city's housing strategy. So you can always go to that page about what the city currently is doing um, in the area of affordable housing and what the, the mayor's strategy is to increase the amount of affordable housing in the community. And I think that as we move forward, we'll put more information that when we get it about our current housing study. Okay. We got a Twitter question from Vox Booker. It's, he says, people with past criminal charges often struggle most to attain affordable housing. Is the city going to ensure that individuals with nonviolent drug charges and other such felonies aren't excluded from affordable housing in our community? So, you know, there's protective classes under federal law. And, of course, you know, dealing with somebody with a record is not one. Um, But checking with our human rights attorney, you know, just because someone has a record is not a reason to exclude them from housing. And so I think that, you know, although that's not one thing that the city regulates, I think that they can have a conversation, particularly if the person feels that the only reason why they were denied housing is because they have a criminal record, then they can contact our human rights attorney and discuss that issue with them. If you have a question well, or – go ahead. Go ahead, Amy. I was also going to add to that. You know, I think that when you're talking about vacancy rates, potentially, um, we're looking into this, but potentially vacancy rates and rentals being, you know, 2% or so, it uh, landlords can look at applications with a lot more scrutiny. So, again, back to that variety and supply in the market um, may assist with that issue a little bit, too. I was just going to mention if people have a, uh, another question and want to give us a call. Uh, we have four people here that can answer all your questions. So give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. Also, you can send questions and news at indianapublicmedia.org. Sarah? We got a little more information about co-housing. That question, she was talking about unrelated adults. Oh, okay. So, so then it is as it relates to rental units. About the three unrelated right. adults. Right. And so the question, original well, why, question was babies. Why invent these occupancy regulations and why can't they do away with them? It says they're baby boomers. 
Oh, baby boomers. I'm sorry. I misunderstood your question. Sorry. (laughs) So the three unrelated adults is actually part of the um, Unified Development Ordinance. It's a planning ordinance. And you can imagine one of the reasons why is because we have such a large rental housing stock. And a lot of that rental housing stock is for for students. And so really, if you don't kind of have control over how many people live within a housing unit, and it's not just three unrelated. Three unrelated is within core neighborhoods, but outside core neighborhoods, it can be five unrelated adults. Is there anything in the UDO that would change that, This the one that's going through? Those, those remain the same, d- right? Correct. Okay. All right. And we have a phone call, so we're going to go to Wendy on the phone. Wendy? Hi. I'd like to know if there are tax or other advantages for landlords to maintain, to keep empty some of their units. Lisa, do you know? I don't don't think so. I mean, I'm not really sure what tax advantage there would be for them to keep a unit unoccupied. Um, Wendy, do you have something in mind? Have you heard some rumor or something about this? I've heard it said that there there are advantages for landlords to have empty units that would maybe cause them to have losses that give them tax advantages. Well, I, I not that I'm aware of. I mean, when you do a performa for a development, you usually put in a 7% vacancy rate for the, um, you know, because there's always going to be some turnover, and that's part of, you know, trying to show the lender that you have funding available to pay your your debt service on the property. But I can't think of any tax incentives that would uh, would uh, would benefit a landlord for keeping something vacant. They want to have the highest occupancy rate that they can in order to, you know, get income from those units. And an empty unit is non-income producing. So... I'm not really sure, especially in today's tax um, situation. I'm not really sure that that would benefit anybody, but I am not a tax expert. Right. All right. Yeah, I would agree with Lisa, that, and, and again, not a tax expert, but looking at today's market, I, I've got to think any write-off would not be as great as the income they could receive off the property at this point. All right. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for the call. Yeah. All right, again, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside the Bloomington area or news at indianapublicmedia.org. So, Tina, just a question for you. How So your study is already done. So how does this influence then community growth? Yeah, so that's a great question. Do you have an answer? Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, we were really trying to understand the challenge. Right. And I think there's such value in just being able to quantify, right, what it is we need to accomplish. And so Lisa's part of a housing technical committee that we've convened. That technical committee now meets next week. We're going to begin to figure out what are the next steps? What are those things that we have to address as a region? What are those things we need to address as individual communities? And how do we begin to resolve this challenge? There's no question that this is part of a bigger formula for how we're going to address our workforce and our attraction challenges and retention in this region. You know, we also have to make sure we're addressing broadband, that we have the quality of place amenities, that we have the workforce, the the education opportunities for workforce. We're chipping away at all of those things. And I think there's such great potential here and such potential growth in our key sectors that I think housing can't help but uh, be valuable as we think about growth in this particular region. So I want to say absolutely the answer is yes, but we have some work ahead of us. And can I add something? I want to point out that in addition to Doris's study, some of the other counties that mm-hmm. um, participated in the 11 county study are, are starting to form task force or committees in order to look at the things that they learned in the study and how they might be able to utilize that information to benefit their communities. So everyone seems to be really taking a deep dive into what what was learned here and trying to figure out how to best apply it to their situation. You know, I agree. There, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to give an example. You know, there was a I, I talked to an elected official in Washington County this week, and they said, you know, we have this piece of property that's got infrastructure that we've been setting aside to serve as a um, uh, an industrial park. 
And we're going to the commissioners now and saying, this needs to be housing development, right? So, I mean, okay, we've got the numbers. We know what we need. We know we can take the risk to support this. So, you know, I think, you know, that I think these kind of studies are really helping communities figure out what the right direction is. And we hoped it would be good information for elected officials and government entities to say, how should we invest our resources? I think communities can use it to, you know, to to also pursue dollars from state and federal sources for housing in the region. Yeah, I, I hope we can get to some strategies and solutions. Doris, did you want to Well, answer? what I want to say is the one reason why we decided to go a deeper dive into just Bloomington and, you know, and continue what Tina's study has done for Monroe County is because we all hear that we need different types of housing, both rental and home ownership and different price points. And we wanted to have an opportunity to know what we currently have here in Bloomington because all groups say, you know, we need affordable housing. But what does that mean? Because like Tina said earlier, affordability means different things to different people. And so take an inventory of what our current housing stock is in various types for elderly housing for those who are homeless. And then um, get an indication of what type of housing we want to move forward to and building for the residents of Bloomington. I want to piggyback off that real quick. Just how then do you initiate change when you're dealing with folks like developers who can't make them do something? How, how, how are you going to do that? So, you know, it's we also have a technical committee and hopefully we'll be able to continue on and develop an internal committee because, you know, to be able to take the information that we learned from the housing study and work individually with developers as they come into the community and want to build housing and say to them, yes, you know, I know you're interested in building this type of housing, but have you considered this type of housing? And we currently at at the city do have different incentives that we can afford to developer, be it our home program, be it our housing fund, be it tax abatement. And so to work with developers to build the different type of housing using the incentives that we have in our toolbox to help them to build that housing. All right. We have a caller, Jerry. Jerry's on the phone. Hey, Jerry, go ahead. Hey, I was just wondering if uh, this study took in the impact of all the all the proliferation of the Airbnb units that are going up around the core IU neighborhoods and the houses that are being uh, set aside as Airbnbs right now, how this is affecting the uh, affordability of housing in Bloomington. Have you taken a look at that in any way? So currently the city doesn't regulate Airbnbs, um, So, but I think that you know, as part of the study, one of the things that we're doing and that Amy is working on, and she can talk a little bit more, is that we are currently um, working on, and she's developing it and hope to send out soon, a survey to landlords within the community to get an idea of where their rental units are, what those price points are, and maybe as part of that, we'll get ones that are currently maybe being used as Airbnbs as well. Amy, is that has the Airbnb... Um the the influx of Airbnbs caused a change in any of the markets you've seen? Uh, it's definitely coming up as as a topic, and I think it is interesting. You know, we're hearing from other some other communities, and we heard, we heard it a little bit in Bloomington of just um, the uh, you know that it adds competition to the within the market of maybe all, an already tight market. Um, it's adding one more factor that's competing maybe with a traditional rental unit. Um, so it's doing that. It, and in some, I didn't hear this in Bloomington, but I've heard it in another market where, you know, it creates kind of some weird dynamics, you know, where you could have one or two units that could be filled with permanent residents and the rest being airbnb And so, you know, the permanent residents are kind of having this weird experience of, you know, every day or every week, I'm seeing new people <coughs> coming and going. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic in the market, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for your call, Jerry. Uh, we've just got about five minutes to go. Well, about eight minutes to go. If you want to give us a call, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348, news at indianapublicmedia.org. We should go to the question from Beth. She was waiting for a little bit, I know. Beth wants to know the occupancy rate of rentals in Bloomington. I think from the last study that was done by the Monroe County Apartment Association, and every year they 
pretty they do a study about the occupancy rate, and it just depends on what area of the city they put it in quadrants. But it, you know, particularly within the downtown area, it can run um, that they have ninety eight percent occupancy. You know, and then as you move further out from kind of the downtown area, but um, it can be. You know, still as high as 95%. So Bloomington really has a high occupancy rate, and I think that that's why we see that there's not that many rentals, you know, available and all the different price points for individuals because we have such a high occupancy rate. We have a question from Michelle. She asks, how can we avoid demolishing currently affordable housing in a profit-driven market? So... Um, I'm not really sure I understand the question, but um, it was something that, that came up um, a couple of weeks ago. It was a question that was asked of me. And um, when you think about um, demo- you purchase a, a house, okay, and I was looking at a particular um, a core neighborhood, and the house, you know, not in great shape, but a decent house, and, you know, in this $170,000, $200,000 range, and you demolish that. You've already paid $170,000, $200,000 for this house, and then you take it down, so you pay for the removal of the property, and then you build something up that's really not economically feasible. I mean, you're not going to get the rents out of that probably to make enough money to get a lender to give you money to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that I'd like to throw out there is that, you know, in Bloomington, as you guys are probably aware, um, there's regulation on demolishing um, structures. So if you're in a historic district or a conservation district, you have to go through the Historic Preservation Commission to get permission to remove it. You also, if you are it's in a historic district, whatever got put back in that place would have to go through a permission process. And if you're covered by demolition delay, which covers a huge swath of the downtown area and the core um, communities, you'd also have to get permission um, to have the um, structure removed. So that's another regulatory barrier over doing it, which then adds to your carrying costs for doing it. So it's not... In, in my opinion, my opinion, it, that's not a likely scenario. Yeah. She, uh, she's talking about the UDO. I, I'm reading yeah. ahead here in her email, and she said the proposed UDO before city council would change zoning to allow the currently affordable small homes in the Bloomington historic neighborhoods to be demolished to create more profitable multifamily and student housing near campus and downtown. How can we protect our local low-income renters from market? And, and I think they are protected with those regulatory um, barriers that are already in place. I, I, in, in, and again, in my opinion, I don't really see um, the Historic Preservation Commission allowing you know multiple structures to be removed in the core neighborhoods to, to build um, a plex of any kind. Where I think that this might come into play is, you know, somebody owns a house and they decide that they want to maybe divide it, which we have seen in the core neighborhoods for decades, um, and make multiple units out of it, which wouldn't change the exterior of the of the property. Or if there is a vacant lot available, you know, where somebody might have their house and a lot next door and they decide to sell the lot next door and you might see something pop up there. But I, I don't really see a huge amount of inventory being added from that provision. We just have about a few more minutes to go. I want to go to some solutions, possible solutions and possible strategies. Um, so, Amy, I want to ask you first. I mean, uh, you've said you've been doing this kind of work for 20 years. I mean, one or, Doris mentioned a few things. Um, I think Tina mentioned something about a, a lot in, in Washington County. Mm-hmm. What are some strategies that can be used once people have this information? What are some tools they can use? Um, well, oh, wow. There's, there's such a wide variety, and it really depends on the specific product or issue you're trying to, to address. I think one of the key things that we talked about, and Tina touched on this, was just lot availability um, across the region, and that really applies to Bloomington, too. So the strategies that we're going to have to look at for, um, for lot development are pretty important. I would say across the region in Bloomington, land costs, infrastructure development costs, all of those things, material costs, have been rising um, at, at a faster rate than, than incomes have. So how do we, how do we um, uh, address that issue will be really important as we move forward um, and finding kind of the other thing that we spend a lot of time talking about is, is that shared risk piece. 
Um, you know, I think there was a question earlier about how do we get developers interested in doing other product types. You know, any smart business person is going to choose to do something that has lower risk with, with, um, with known profits. So we have to maybe share or mitigate some of the risk that is real or perceived um, in trying to produce other things um, within the market. And that shared risk is not just the responsibility of the city, but I think it's every, it's all the partners in our communities. It's the, it's the city, it's the banking partners, it's the employers, it's, you know, it's the philanthropy, it's, it's all of those pieces coming together to figure out from project to project how we can share risk to get, to get products we want developed. So uh, the, the study for ROI is available for people to look at. People are starting to move forward on it, different communities. What's next for the City of Bloomington study, Amy? I mean, what, how long will it take you to take all this information from the listening sessions and put it in some form that the community can see? Sure. So we're looking at getting a draft report to the city sometime after the first of the year. Um, that will be reviewed with the committee that we're having and having something out um, to the community um, after the, the first part of the year. Okay. And we are out of time. I want to thank all of our guests who have been with us today. That was Amy Hasse from RDG Planning and Design. She joined us from Omaha today. Thanks very much for being here. And our three guests in the studio, Tina Peterson, Lisa Abbott, and Doris Sims. For my co-host, Sarah Whitmire, producer, Benta Boutier, and engineer, Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from The Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.